We are so thankful for the work of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about some of his future work. Join me in Matthew chapter 24, please. Matthew chapter 24, as we continue a series, if you're joining with us, a series on future events, on end time future predictions. We're going to pick up and do some of it this morning and pick up more of it this evening. While you're turning, some of you may have known last week they had a special football game that took place. Any of you hear about this thing? Okay, between two teams, we understand that the Chiefs and the Buccaneers just got lucky and they got there because we know that the better team didn't show up to the Super Bowl. <laughs> we know that the Vikings have been to more Super Bowls than those two teams, even though the Vikings have never won a Super Bowl and never got the coveted Lombardi Trophy. Somebody reminded me that the Vikings are doing this because of the current affair of situations. Somebody sent me a text that said, how diplomatic the Vikings are. Social distancing since, since 61 from the Lavardi Trophy. Somebody else sent this one in encouragement. Do you know who the quarterback was that won the Super Bowl? Any of you ever hear of him? Okay. Well, they sent me this text yesterday talking about Tom Brady. One sure way that he would not win a Super Bowl is if he became a Minnesota Viking. <laughs> So I appreciate people sending me these encouraging clips. Okay, that, that's such a blessing to my heart. Okay. Somebody sent me a warning, though, that I found very, very interesting. This warning that some of you should really seriously consider. It says, do not wash your hair with shampoo while in the shower. And it went on to explain. Many people use shampoo in the shower. However, when doing so, the shampoo runs down your body. And it clearly states on the shampoo label, for extra body and volume. No wonder people gain weight. Stop using shampoo and use dishwashing liquid instead. Dishwashing soap le reads, dissolves fat that is otherwise difficult to remove. I appreciate those types of non-sincere warnings. Matthew 24 is a serious warning, though. One that we don't want to laugh at. Matthew is where Jesus is talking and describing future events, and some of you may be familiar with future events. You may have heard these terms, Antichrist, 666, Armageddon. In fact, Hollywood has heard about them and made films about them, and as a result, people get more aware of it, but they also get more confused. They misunderstand what's all involved. And so what we're trying to do in this series on end times is explain what does the Bible say and go to the source of the Bible. When we do that, we are dealing with one aspect of future events. It's called the tribulation. It's a biblical term that describes the last seven-year period of human history right before Jesus Christ returns to planet Earth and sets up his kingdom. We've already discussed some of this, and I want to just remind you that according to Matthew 24, the very words of Jesus, he clearly states the tribulation precedes, immediately precedes his coming to this earth. We're in Matthew 24. Jump down, if you would, to verse 29 with me. It says, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. It can't get any clearer. The tribulation is that last few years just before Jesus comes back where it talks about how then all the tribes of the earth shall mourn. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he shall send his angels and they shall gather together. And you wonder why do people mourn at that time? We're going to see later on in this study. But flip over to 2 Thessalonians with me. 2 Thessalonians, another text that talks about the future events. And we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 
verse 1, it says this, And we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither be in spirit nor by word nor letter be shaken in any way, because that day of the Lord is at hand. The day of the Lord we talked about a couple of weeks ago is a biblical term that's talking about the tribulation period. And he's saying it's soon to arrive. It's right at hand. But let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there be a falling away, and that that man of sin be revealed, who is the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He goes down a little bit, verse 8, Then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. And you understand that. He's talking about Antichrist, who is the main character in the tribulation, and what we just read, the last verse, he will be destroyed when Jesus Christ comes back. Hence, we're at that same spot that this period called the tribulation immediately precedes the coming of Jesus Christ to this earth. We gave you this little graph just to help you to understand in a sense of what that period of time is like. And we'll, we'll just do it again just for your memory's sake. It ends with Jesus Christ coming back setting up his kingdom. It starts with the signing of a treaty between Antichrist and Israel. And it's a whole combination of a variety of things. We talked about that in a previous study. In the middle of that seven-year treaty, Antichrist will break it. This is all based on Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. In the middle of the tribulation, he will break it. That means that treaty in the first three and a half years is in place. And for the Jews, it's not going to be as bad as what it will get. That's what Jesus describes as how you're going to hear of rumors and wars and you will hear of those things, but they won't really affect you, the Jewish people, yet. But in the second three and a half years, when Antichrist breaks the treaty, then Antichrist will set himself up as God. He'll sit on the temple and he'll demand everybody worships him. And if you don't, He's going to persecute, especially the Jewish people. Jesus described it very clearly in Matthew 24. The first part of Matthew fits the first three and a half years. The second part of Matthew 24 fits the second half. It's amazing how all these predictions and prophecies fit together so very well. For our study this morning, keep in mind that throughout this period of time, there are several different judgments that God will send. There's the seal judgment, there's the trumpet judgment, there are the vial judgments. And if we were to chart them, we would have the seal judgment in the first three and a half years, and then the trumpet and vial judgments are going to occur in the second three and a half years. So as I make comments this morning and give descriptions of this vial or that vial, just keep in mind that's your basic idea of what's going to happen during that time period, which the Bible describes as the worst time period in all of human history. That's stated multiple times. I give you two different verses and passages that talk about that. In Matthew 24, from the words of Jesus, Daniel 12, from Daniel the prophet. We mentioned last time we met that it is so bad because of the many wars, the natural disasters, the diseases that take place, because of the many famines. Remember, a third of all the vegetation will be destroyed by fire, and there will be also the earthquakes, and there will be the extreme heat. There will be pain and suffering. People will be afflicted. 
very similar to the plagues that happened in Egypt. But this will be worldwide and this will go on for an extended period of time. The animals will turn against mankind. So many people will die because of the viciousness of animals, which makes sense. If they are affected in nature by all the heat and the chaos and the lack of water and the lack of food. We also found out that men will do extreme evil during that time period. As well as there's going to be heightened persecution that will take place. But then we ended up last time talking about there's going to be an increase in spiritual delusion. In deception. There will be miracles abounding that are being done by demons and Satan empowering the peoples of the false religious system who will then dupe a lot of individuals. Now we talked about all those things but there's a couple more that I want to add to this list and start off with that this morning. I want to point out to you that one of the reasons it's going to get really, really evil and terrible at that time is because the increased amount of demonic activity and attacks. The Bible indicates that men have always been subject, ever since the beginning of creation, they've been subject to demonic oppression, demonic attacks. People have been possessed. We know that that's happened. We, we go to a character in Scripture that we studied last year, the book of Job, talking about that man whose name is Job, how he was attacked by Satan. He was verbally attacked. Satan said, God, the only reason he serves you is because you've given him blessings. Take away the blessings and he'll quit. So God said, okay, I trust Job. You can have free reign, Satan, for a little bit. You can take some of the possessions away. And so he lost his herds. He lost his crops. lost his servants. He even loses his entire wealth. He loses uh, a lot of his workers. He loses his ten kids all in one day. And yet he doesn't turn against the Lord. And Satan comes. Remember, Satan says, The only reason he serves you, God, is because you haven't let me touch his body. And Satan's allowed to afflict him for an extended period of time. Terrible physical pain, illness. We don't understand all of what it was. But Satan had the power, with God's permission, he had that power to be able to afflict and to attack Job. He's not the only one. We go through scriptures and we come into the New Testament and we find out that demons have the ability to afflict people to attack people, to cause illnesses. That's not to say all illnesses because of a demon. But it is to say that some are. We can go to multiple passages where people were blinded, they were mute. People were handicapped so that woman is bent over for years. People um, would all of a sudden act in a crazy fashion, the maniac of Gadara. When the demons were cast out of him, they went into the herd of swine. And the swine immediately killed itself by casting over the edge of the cliff. We know about the father who bring, comes to Jesus and says, My son is afflicted with a demon. And he throws himself into the fire. He has all kinds of issues and problems. Demons, Satan, they have the ability, they had and have the ability to afflict people, to attack. We know biblically that ever since the Garden of Eden, Satan didn't come, even though he said, I'm doing this for your benefit, you shall become as gods. He did not have Adam and Eve's or our best interest in mind. He was opposed to us from the very beginning. He was going to attack, and he tried to separate God and man. We know that he attacked Jesus Christ. We'll see it again in Revelation 12 in just a minute, where when Jesus was born, the dragon, Satan, tried to kill Jesus. We know that. That happened through Herod's trying to kill the children. He tempted Jesus, not just in the wilderness, but he said he left for a time. 
He, he indwelt Judas so that Judas would betray Satan, thinking this would destroy Jesus by killing him on the cross. I don't think it's a surprise to you. I don't think you're going to be shocked by this. But according to Daniel chapter 10, we know that angels and demons do play a role in human government. I would think most of you would say there's more demons in Washington than angels. Okay. There, there's, but we know that that happens. And that there's, there's social impact that's being motivated, being manipulated by the spirit world behind the scenes. And so as we go through history, you say, well, wait a minute. You know, Satan's dangerous. Oh, yeah, we're told he goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We are warned in Ephesians 5, put on the armor of God because we wrestle against these principalities, these powers, and they're going to attack us, and there's going to be the wiles of the devil. Satan is against us. His hordes are against us. They are not our friends. Okay, we know that. We know that even by just looking at his names, his titles. None of them look like he's a friendly guy. He's a nice guy. There's no comforter. There's no encourager that you'll see. There's accuser, there's enemy, there's dragon, there's adversary, there's roaring lion. These are just the New Testament, some of the titles given to him. He's against us. He's opposed to us. He's against the human race, against believers and any, everyone else, trying to turn them against God and God against them. But even though he's dangerous now, even though he's destructive now, when it comes to tribulation, it's going to manif- multiply itself in a, just a manifold way. It, it is amazing what you have in the future events. The reason I say that, I'm going to invite you to go to Revelation 12 with me. Revelation 12 talks about what Satan will be like during the tribulation. Here's a key verse that we're going to start with. It says, Woe unto you, the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. The devil is come down unto you, having great wrath. Now, you're turning to Revelation 12, and I'm going to join you there in a second. But I want you to pause and think with me what this means. The devil has come down to you. In case you are unfamiliar with Bible demonology, Bible angelology, the study of it, let me just set, the, set clarity here in your thinking. Some of you may be thinking Satan's in hell. He has never been there. He's not there yet. Satan has not gone to hell. In fact, the scripture says in the future, he will come down unto us, which implies he's above to some degree. Well, where is he at this point? Satan was created the chief of all creation. He was the best of creation. And he got it into his head by a moment of pride that he could be better than God, and he rebelled. I don't know exactly when that took place. My understanding is at the end of creation, at the seventh day, God said, behold, all that he has created, it is Good. Okay. That would have included Satan. But then when we go to chapter 3, the very next chapter, that's the end of chapter 2, chapter 3 of Genesis, he is already corrupt, more subtle than any other beast, and he's tempting Adam and Eve. And so somewhere in between the end of creation and the temptation, how many days, weeks, months that was, I don't know, but Satan fell. And when Satan fell, he took on a new role. Okay, so the idea when we say he fell, he fell from his position. He fell from his responsibility, his role. He didn't fall into hell, the place called hell. 
We're talking that he had a, a falling of heart and of mind. And so what happens is, losing the position, he now takes on a new role, a role of adversary, uh, antagonist against God, against God's people in creation. And he has the ability to travel around planet Earth. We read that in the book of Job when all of a sudden it is the day when God calls all of his sons of God, angels, before him, and they're giving an account. Where have you been? God asked Satan, He's who comes amongst the angels, which implies that Satan can go to where? He can have access to heaven. And so he comes into the courtroom of God, and God says to him, where have you been, Satan? And he says, from going to, up and down, through and all over, walking up and down planet Earth. And while he's walking up and down planet Earth, he's observing people. And that's when God says, have you considered my servant Job? The point is, Satan is not in hell. Satan has, has opportunity to go about here, in this world, in this life. He has opportunity to visit Lebanon, PA. He has opportunity to visit other cities, areas of the world. But he also can go to heaven at times. He is not omnipresent. He is not like Jesus. He is not like God the Father or God the Spirit. He can only be at one place at one time, but he can be in those places. And that's when we come to the idea that Satan enters heaven for this reason. Okay, and it's, described, it's uh, illustrated in the book of Job. When God says, where have you been? You've been all over. God says um, to Satan, did you consider my servant Job? And Satan says, Job fears you only for one reason, you bless him. Take away the blessings and Job will turn against you. And so he's accusing Job. He's trying to turn God against Job and then Job against God. He also, according to Revelation 12, you have the passage open, right? Look at verse 10. He is the accuser of the brethren day and night. So he has access to go to heaven and to try to turn God against you by bringing up your sin that's not under the blood of Christ. And so he has that opportunity. He's, he's an enemy. He's vicious. He's not on our side. Now, Revelation 12, with that in mind, follow along what he says in Revelation 12. In Revelation 12, if we set the scene, this is talking about the events that are taking place and describing um, the events that will take place at the middle of the tribulation. And uh, he's describing what's, why it's happening and what's going on. And he's explaining some of the behind the scenes. And he takes us into the behind the scenes to heaven. And he describes that there's going to be in the spiritual realm that people cannot see. There's going to appear a wonder in heaven. Verse 3. This wonder, this thing that is amazing, is terrible, but it just causes people to go, oh, is, the, behold, a great red dragon. Having seven heads and ten hordes, seven crowns upon its heads. And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven, and he cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman. Now, before I go any further, jump down a few verses, and we find out who the dragon is. Verse 9. The great dragon that was cast out, that old serpent called, what's his two other names? Devil and, and Satan. So that great dragon that's being seen in the heavenlies is Satan. And he's describing what this character is like and what he, how he's operated. Watch what he's, back in verse 4, watch what this dragon historically has done. The dragon stood before the woman which was ready to, do, to give birth to a child for to devour her child as soon as it was born. 
She, this woman, brought forth a man-child. It'll make sense when we figure out who is the man-child. Who's the one that's about to be birthed in this spiritual setting? The one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, the child who was caught up into heaven to God's throne. Who is the person that was birthed of a woman and Satan tried to kill him? He was eventually caught up into heaven and sits at the throne of God. It's Jesus Christ. So this is a picture of Jesus Christ. The woman who gave birth to him, we know as the one individual, is Mary. But in this setting, it's a bigger picture of the nation of Israel because he was a Jew. The reason I say that is because if you go down to verse 13, 14, it talks about the woman having to flee into the wilderness some future day. Just what Jesus said in Matthew 24, that when you see the abomination of desolation, you Jews flee into the wilderness. So what happens here is he's setting this whole stage. And look at verse 6. The woman flees into the wilderness where she has a place prepared of God that, she should, that they should feed her for how many days? Okay. Okay, it's three and a half years. 1,260 days. It's a specific number. If you go back to chapter 11, that specific number talks about the second half of the, three, of the tribulation. 1,260 days, 42 months, three and a half years, a time, times, and half a time. So this is giving us a picture of what happens, why this woman has to flee into the wilderness. Why do the Jews have to run? It's because of Satan. It's because of what happens to Satan at this very moment. Here's what happened, verse 7. There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. The great dragon was cast out of heaven. That old serpent called devil Satan, which deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Yea, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast out, which accused them before our God day and night. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They loved not their own lives through death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and you that dwell in them. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. Why? Why is it woe for the people on earth? For the devil is come down unto you having great wrath because he knows his time is short. So there's going to be this war, this, uh, war in heaven and for the first time in all of history Satan no longer has access to heaven. He is cast out for good and he comes down to earth. Doesn't go to hell but he comes to earth and he comes down to earth at that time with great wrath. Now when he comes back to earth he has a plan. It says the dragon went to make war with the woman and with the remnant. Any, any others who are followers of Jesus Christ, any of the Jews who are inter interested in Judaism, he's going to make war against them. But it's not just Satan. We go to the trumpets and it talks about out of this bottomless pit, these demon-like locusts will come and they will torment men. We read about the sixth vial, that these unclean spirits that are like frogs will come and they will cause all the nations to gather together at the battle of Armageddon 
And we'll see in a moment why they gathered to Armageddon for one purpose. And so there's demonic activity is going to intensify during the tribulation. Yes, there's going to be miracles and all those types of supernatural things going on. There will be attacks that will take place. Satan will be cast out of heaven and he's going to come down to this earth and he's going to be angry and it's going to be a terrible, terrible time. But not just because of the demonic attacks, but because of the horrific amount of death that takes place. The death that takes place during the tribulation, we talk about a third part of all the ocean creatures. And then it talks about all the ocean creatures dying off. And we understand that's going to be horrible at that time period because most of our planet is water. And so there's going to be death, but it, it affects the fresh waters where people are killed because of the lack of fresh waters. When we put it all together, we read that in the book of tribulation, in the very first three and a half years, the first 1260 days, the first 42 months, one out of every four people will die. We know that because of the passage that talks about the fourth seal. That it says, I looked and behold, there was a pale horse, excuse the misspelling. His name that sat on him was death and hell followed him. And he was given to have power over one-fourth part of the earth. One-fourth of the people killed by sword or hunger or death or the beasts of the earth. That's not all. Then in the second half, one out of every three people remaining will die. We read that in Revelation 9. Well, third part. We're talking that in these seven years, well into the region of around 50% of the human population will die in seven years. That's an incredible amount of people dying in just that short period of time. We go all the way back to another pandemic, 1918, Spanish flu epidemic that hit the world. More people, double the people died in that epidemic that followed World War I than were killed in World War I. Life expectancy was dropped by 12 years. It was a serious pandemic. And yes, did they say you should wear masks then? They even did. I was doing a little bit of reading about it. And they talk about, it even gave the research that not only should you be wearing a mask, but you should never kiss unless you're wearing a mask. That didn't go over well. Okay. So they have all this death taking place. The one business that all of a sudden had a boon in their business were casket makers in the United States. They started running these companies making caskets 24-7 and they couldn't keep up with the demands. There are stories that came out of areas like Chicago and other bigger cities that when families had a loved one died, they were too weak and so they would just get a casket, put the body in and put it on the street because they couldn't do burials, couldn't do funerals, sounds familiar. And people would come by, pick up the casket and take off. But other people who had a loved one die couldn't get a casket so they'd come, dump the body out and take the casket themselves. It was a horrible time that the peoples, they started doing mass burials because there was, what's it going to be like in the tribulation? How awful will it be? So we have these indications that it is the worst time in human history. It gets so bad that we read that people will seek to die. Not just, not just some element, but it talks about the great men, the rich men, the chief captains, the mighty men, the slave, the free man. They're going to hide themselves in the rocks and say, fall on us and hide us from the wrath of him who sits upon the throne. In fact, it's stated again in the second half that in those days men shall seek death and not find it. They desire to die, but they can't escape. It's a horrible period of time. You don't want to risk going into this time period. You don't want to say, okay, I'll just wait until I see it happen, then I'll get born again. No, 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 be wise. Be wise. If you know that there's a crash coming up, you don't sit in the car and say, I'm just going to see if I can survive the crash. You get out of the car. 
You, you avoid it some way. The world is headed for the tribulation. You don't want to be there. You want to get born again so that you don't face that time. It's a horrible time. Now, we've answered some questions so far, but the word, I want to spend the rest of our time this morning and then this evening is answering why does it get so bad? Why does it happen? And I see several reasons why. That God allows it to get so bad during this time. One reason I've already mentioned this morning, Satan knows his time is short. We already read Revelation 12. We read the text that Satan is cast out of heaven and he comes down, look at the verse, having great wrath because he knows that his time is but a short time. Let me ask a question. Does Satan understand and read the Bible? Yes, he does. How do we know that? In the temptations to Jesus Christ, what does he quote? He quotes scripture. Misquotes it, but he quotes scripture. Okay, so Satan's aware of prophecy. He's not illiterate. He can read. He can read what God says, even in the book of Revelation, that he gets kicked out, and as much as he doesn't want, and he fights against it. Do you remember? There's a war in heaven, and he fights against it, but he doesn't prevail, and he gets kicked out. He comes to this earth, and he can read the prophecies that say he's got 1,260 days to either do his thing or he's done. Okay, and he comes down with great wrath. Think about it. After centuries of trying to beat God, after centuries of trying to prove that God is not, not powerful. After centuries of trying to turn people against God and God against people, he's got three and a half years to do it. Three and a half years to get it done. It, you know, a, a terrible way of putting it. If you were Satan, okay, if you were Satan and you had three and a half years left, would you just say, oh, well, or would you give it your best? Remember, you're proud, you're pompous. You think that God's, a mis- God's mistaken. Wouldn't you increase your, 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 your afflictions, your activity? Which is exactly what he does. In fact, if we understand right, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 30 and 31 clearly state, along with Zechariah chapter 12, along with Ezekiel and Isaiah, things we'll look at tonight, God says, I will spare the Jews. They will not be annihilated. Some will survive up to the very end of the tribulation. For generations, Satan has tried to wipe out the Jews. Holocaust, pogrom, all kinds of persecution. He gets to the last three and a half years. If he can wipe out all the Jews, he's showing that God's made a mistake. And if God's made a mistake, he's more powerful than God. If he can wipe out the people that God has promised to keep until the very end. Then he's, he's showing that, that he's superior to God. So in this time period, of all other time periods, he will make war, it says, with the woman. That's Israel, the Jews that brought forth the the Christ child, that he's going to go after them like never, ever before. No wonder, Jesus said, when you see this all starting, you see Antichrist come to the throne uh, of the temple, then run to the wilderness, flee. Don't go up to your rooftops. Don't go back in your houses to gather anything. Get out of there because this is going to be the worst time in all of human history, not just for everyone, but for the Jews in particular. 
And so we know that one of the reasons that this time period becomes so bad is Satan is trying to turn God against people and people against God. He is going to heighten the activity. There is going to be more spiritual deception. There's going to be a new religious system that is going to all be designed to turn people away from God. Let's, say, let's go a step further. Okay? Satan knows his time is short, but let me expand it a little bit more. I'm going to ask you to go to Luke chapter 17 with me. Luke 17. Men at this time period will not only ignore, reject God, but they will actively turn against him. I'm making a distinction here. I think that there's a lot of people in this world who ignore God. They don't care about him. They... You know, they are doing their own thing. They go to church on a Sunday morning, but they don't let anything affect them the rest of the week. They turn to different false deities, but they're just going through motions. They're just, they're not believing, they're not interested, and they just kind of, maybe they'll tune into a program like this, and they'll watch it, and then they'll be ho-hum about it. There's a whole lot of people who ignore God who reject him being the God of their life. And that happens. But in the future, they will do more than just, I'm going to do my own thing. They're going to become actively opposed to God Almighty and anybody or anything associated with him, especially during the tribulation. The reason I say that is we find in Luke chapter 17, this is parallel to Matthew 24, Jesus is describing what the world is like right before he comes back. And in Luke chapter 24, we're setting it up. He's going to make a comparison. He's uh, uh, Luke chapter 17, verse uh, 24 in this passage. He's going to make a comparison of, hey, in that time when the Son of Man comes, the day of the Son of Man, the arrival of Jesus Christ that he talks about in verses 22 and 23. He says, For as the lightning that lights one out of one part of heaven and shines unto the other part, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. When Jesus Christ comes back, it's going to be seen by all, stretching throughout the whole sky. Then he, then he talks a little bit more about this whole situation. He talks about, jump down to verse 26. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. What will the world be like in these last few years before Jesus Christ comes back? It's going to be similar to the days of Noah. Okay. That's what Jesus said. And then he describes in the days of Noah. He says, they did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. What's it going to be like? Before Jesus Christ comes back and judgment befalls all people, like in the days of Noah. Now, we read this text, and we read it and go, oh, people were preoccupied with eating, drinking, and marrying. What does that mean? I mean, we're doing that today. People eat, they drink, they marry. You go, you know, some of you are going to go to lunch. You're going to eat. You're going to, you're going to have your beverage. You're going to go and, you know, say weddings. You know, they aren't quite the same as they've been over the last, you know, previous years. But people are still doing. But you and I know that Jesus meant more than just people are busy. You and I know our Bibles. What were those days like? They were so evil. In the days of Noah, when people were ignoring God because they were so busy that they all of a sudden replaced God with all kinds of stuff. And they try to push God out of their mind. 
Because we read in Genesis that it included turning against God to a degree. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every thought of his heart was continually evil. It was all about, what, what about me? What about me? Please me, please me. Satisfy my flesh. Do whatever I want. Ignore God. Just, you know, not listen. In fact, how long did Noah preach? Right. Okay. That was an unconvincing answer. 120 years. He preached for 120 years. How many people listened to him? Besides his family. None. None. Why? Because they were busy, 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 doing their thing, getting their money, doing their stuff, ignoring God, basically turning their back on God. And so he talks about, he says, in those days God said, I'm done convicting. My spirit's not going to constantly strive. I, I've reached the limit of my patience. And he sent a flood. So God is saying, this is exactly what it's going to be like in these last days. People will just do their own pleasure, do their own thing, and God's patience is going to run out. He goes on in this very text, and he compares it to another day. Look at the next verse. Verse 28. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of who? Okay, what story are we coming to? Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? That they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went into Sodom, then judgment came. How did it come this time? It rained fire and brimstone. And he's describing it, which he is saying, okay, there's going to be a lot of worldwide similarities, worldwide similarities of what went on in Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, well, if we read those verses, they just went about their business. But you and I know the behind the scenes that Jesus didn't include everything that they did, because we go to Genesis, and what do we read about Sodom and Gomorrah? We read that God, as he described them in that time, said the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. He goes on, he says, their sin was very grievous. He goes on, he says that they ignored God, they wanted pleasure, and that's all they were after. And he's saying that in these end times, some of the very same sins are going to be mimicked worldwide. Surprise. Does it look like Sodom and Gomorrah days? Okay. And he's talking about how it's going to amplify itself during that time that people will turn, not only just be busy, they're going to turn their backs on all of God's morality, all of God's standard. They're going to, they're going to not heed his warnings. And we read that the evil is going to compound where people in those days will be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient, slanders, lovers of, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. He goes on, he describes them. The iniquity will abound and the love of many wax cold. He talks about people not repenting of what types of things? That they should not worship devils, the idols and the silver and the brass. They don't repent of their murders, their sorceries, their fornications or their thievery. He goes on, they repent and not of their deeds. People are going to become actively opposed to God, not just resenting his standards worse than they are now. They're going to turn against him. It says that with the great heat, all of a sudden people blaspheme the name of God, which has the power over the, uh, over the plagues. They're going to blaspheme 
blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. We read that the Antichrist will blaspheme against God, blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and everyone who's associated with him in heaven. We read that they will seek to totally replace God worship. That they will turn and they will do, everyone on the earth will worship this Antichrist. I am blown away. When I read about these cultic groups, these goofy cultic groups that think that these leaders are, are these God people and they speak and these leaders who, behind the scenes, these leaders are building up money. They're abusing other people. They're perverted in their conduct towards others. And he says, you know what? That's going to become the norm. In the end times, there will be so much anti-Christianity, so much anti-Jesus, anti-Bible, anti-God, the world will seek to adopt a new system of religion following Antichrist. They will actively work against anything that's truth. In fact, it goes on. He causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship that beast, the Antichrist. And then they go after the kids of God. Now, you and I know there's been persecutions. It's been there since the beginning of Christianity that they've been persecuting. We are living in a time period where persecution is running at a quite a high level. That believers, brothers and sisters are being killed every month. That there's a lot of this happening. But in the tribulation period, we read about how, wait a minute, it's going to get worse. They shall deliver you to be afflicted. They shall kill you. You shall be hated of all nations. The, under the altar, he sees people who were, be, who were killed, slain for the word of God, for the testimony. And he's talking about how there's going to be such an active anti-Christian movement, anti-Jewish movement, that it's incredible during this time period. They will shed the blood of the saints and the prophets. They will wear out the saints, according to what the scripture says, that he will make war with the saints, those who are saved during that time period. He's trying to wipe them all out in this anti-Christian movement, anti-God movement. And anybody who doesn't worship the beast, they're going to be killed. It's a horrible time. It's an incredible time of all this activity. You want to see it in its unfolded really weird? Go to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. He talks about during this time period, God, Satan is going to have his activity. He's going to have his false prophet. God also sends prophets from heaven. God is countering this. And in Revelation chapter 11, God sends two prophets from heaven that he's going to back up. And he says in verse 3, I will give power unto my two witnesses. They shall prophesy again 1260 days. We're talking the second half of the tribulation, that seven-year period, 42 months, three and a half years. He says very specifically they're going to be there for 1260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees, two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will attempt to hurt them, Fire will proceed out of their mouth and they will devour their enemies. If any man will hurt them, he in the same manner will be killed. So God's put up a defensive perimeter around them. That these two prophets will not be able to be killed despite all of Antichrist's activities. But we go a little bit further. These have power to shut up the heavens that it might not rain in the days of their prophecy. Have power over the waters to turn them to blood. To smite the earth with all the plagues as often as they will. And when they have finished their testimony, verse 7, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, shall overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt. What great city 
is he referring to? Oh, to give you another hint, where Jesus Christ was killed. Jerusalem, okay? And they of the people and the kindreds and the tongues of the nations shall see their dead bodies three and a half days, but will not suffer their bodies to be put into the graves. This is one of those texts that people for years said, ooh, how's that possible? But we in modern technology, we understand how they're going to visually see this, right? Everybody knows. And so what you have is this, these two prophets that they're going to be speaking for God. The world wants them gotten rid of. The Antichrist will finally overcome them towards the very end of the tribulation. But the weird part is the next verse. How do people respond? How do the, the people following Antichrist, what will they do when they see these two prophets of God killed? And they that dwell upon the earth shall... What's your Bible read? Rejoice over them and make merry and shall send what? This is going to be like Christmas season, celebration season, birthday time. These people are going to rejoice and celebrate. We got rid of those God reminders. We don't want anything to do with God. We don't want anything to be reminded of him. We just got rid of those two guys who are a thorn in our flesh. Let's celebrate and have a big party. That's how anti-God this society becomes. No wonder it gets so bad. They have an attitude of attacking. Revelation 19. This it gets even more bizarre. Revelation 19. Turn there please. Now we're at the end of the tribulation. This is the 1260 days of that second half are done. And it's, the, it's right around that battle of the Armageddon that takes place. And the prophets are, yeah, prophet John says, hey, I saw something else. I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he that sat on the horse is called faithful, true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were as the flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture that had been dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Oh, by the way, verse 16. He also has on his vesture and on his thigh another name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Who is that? It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ who is alive in heaven right now. Now, according to this text, at that moment, he's coming down to this earth. He's getting ready to descend. And we read a little bit further, verse 19. I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and all the armies gathered together to make war against who? Him that sat on the horse and against his army. That is key to this passage. People at this time will be so anti-God, so anti-Christ, so convinced that they, when they see Jesus physically, literally coming out of heaven, they don't stop and say, whoops, we made a mistake. Whoa, it's true. They're going to turn their earthly weapons on him and try to shoot him down. How do you kill a resurrected man? This is how foolish people will become. This is how anti-God they, they will reach in their very depths. It's amazing. It's amazing what happens at that moment. The antagonism against God is at an all-time high. By the way, unless you're discouraged at this moment to say, Woo, I, I, should, I should read another text before I wrap up here. Um, verse 15. 
Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he would smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread out the winepresses of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty. In other words, who wins the battle? Jesus does. Jesus is the overcomer. He is the one who will be victorious in the very end. Praise God we're on the winning side. Okay, so we know all about that. But let, let me, there's so much more I want to share, but I'll do it tonight. I'll pick up. Jesus is going to overcome all this evil. As great as Satan and influential, as angry as Satan is, as powerful as Antichrist gets, Jesus will overcome them. As crazy as it is that all the armies in the world combined with all their weaponry, they won't be able to knock Jesus off his horse. He's going to overcome. And in Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, he is called the overcomer, the one who overcomes. But as I went through the book of Revelation, just reading it to just keep in tune with the whole text, he isn't the only one who's called the overcomer. Do you realize that in the book of Revelation, there are people who are called overcomers multiple times? Jesus is the ultimate overcomer, but he talks about other people. In fact, every verse that talks about this overcomer is preceded by this phrase. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says, that those who overcome, those who overcome. So in the invitation to people of all ages, God's Spirit says, I want to tell you, listen to me. If you have an ear, use it. Listen to me. You can become an overcomer. You can become one who overcomes. And if I take just every one of those phrases in the book of Revelation that talks about you people becoming an overcomer, he gives a promise. He gives some, some benefit of joining the team of Jesus. And he describes it this way. He says, if you join up with Christ and become one of his, an overcomer, I will give you to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. In other words, you're going to live in heaven. He says it this way. He that overcomes shall not be hurt of the second death. The second death is eternal hell. Um, Revelation 2. To him that overcomes will I give to eat the, man, the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone and not guilty sign. And a stone with a new name written on it, which no man can save but he that received it. So you get this pet name from God that's just for you, for you and him alone to know. He that overcomes and keeps my works, to him I'll give power over the nations. He goes on. He says, he that overcomes shall be in white. I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I'll confess him before the Father. I'll make him a pillar. He shall go no more in and out of heaven. I will write upon him the name of my God. Do you remember how Antichrist has markings that are being put on people? The 666. God gives you a marking that you're his. You know, so you're his property, never, never to be cast away. To him that overcomes will I grant uh, to sit with me in my throne to rule and reign with him. He that overcomes shall inherit all things. This is all the benefits for those who become overcomers. The big question that we should answer in, before I pray is, how do you become an overcomer? Most of you should be saying, I want to sign up. I want to be on that, that guy's team. I don't know if it ever happened to you, to you guys. But when we would play in the backyard, and it would be me and one of, when my kids were young, be one of the youngest ones would be with me, and the older ones would be there. Whenever I was losing, which was, if I said once in a great while, you wouldn't believe it, would you? 
It was almost every time we played. Okay, I'm losing. Invariably, this buddy teammate of mine, after we're down points, would say, I'm going to go on that team. I'm going to join them. And it's like, you traitor. Okay, how would you? But he wanted to be on the... Yeah, okay. You want to be on the winning team? You want to be on the team that, with, you, with the ultimate overcomer? The guy who wrote the book of Revelation also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He's, he told us very clearly how to become an overcomer. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? How do I sign up? I become a follower of Jesus Christ. I say, I want you, Jesus, to be my Savior. I am no longer trusting in my baptism, my church membership, my knowledge, my money. I'm trusting in you to get me into heaven. I am, I am going to become your disciple. I am going to follow you. That's how you get on the overcomer's team. You don't have to have all kinds of skill. You don't have all kinds of good looks. You don't have to have all kinds of education. You need faith in Jesus Christ. And you become part of the overcomers. This Miss Jacoby, 97 years old, was shopping at Walmart in Tennessee. And as she was shopping, she brought her grocery cart out. She's unloading the groceries in the trunk. And she gets into the driver's seat. And as she gets into the driver's seat, the other side of the car opens up. And a guy jumps in who has a mask on. And it wasn't even COVID. He jumped in. And he sits there and he says, I have a knife. Give me all your money or I'm going to kill you. She refused. And he says, I've got a knife. I'm going to hurt you. She refused. He said it again. She refused. And then she added, son, because she's much older than this guy. She says, son, if you kill me, that's okay because I'm going to heaven. And if you kill me, you'll end up in hell where all murderers end up. So if I were you, I wouldn't kill me. And then this guy who is stunned she goes on for the next 10, 12 minutes, according to the news reports, and she shares the gospel with him. And she goes through how he needs to repent of his sin. He needs to call upon Christ to be a savior. When it's all said and done, the guy is crying. He says, I need to pray. What do I do? She tells him what he needs to pray. He says, I'm going to go home right now and pray. She says, well, you can pray right here. He says, no, I'm going to go home and do it. But thank you. He leans over to her and kisses her on the cheek. She is so pleased. She reaches in her bag. She gives him all the money she had. All $10. (laughs) What gave her that boldness? Her faith in Christ. What gave him the courage to say no to what he was planning to do? Faith in Christ. Faith overcomes. Fear overcomes all kinds of issues. Faith is amazing. I'm going to ask you this morning, are you going to be a person who would overcome your own doubts? You have some questions, some doubts about some things in the Bible, about some things about God, because you just don't know. But are you willing to overcome your doubts and say, I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe what I understand to be true. Are you going to have enough faith that you will say, I don't care what my family and friends think. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going, to overcome, I'm going to overcome my own pride. 
And I'm going to admit what the Bible says, that all are sinners and come short of the glory of God, and we all need a Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you going to overcome this morning your own guilt, your own sense of unworthiness to say, even though I don't think he, he, I deserve it, I want your forgiveness? Would you be one who would say, I will overcome my own selfish pride nature that says, I'm in charge, and say, God, I'm going to let you be in charge. Are you going to overcome your fears this week of witnessing and share the gospel, even if it's somebody across the seat that's opposing you? Will you be an overcomer? If you're here this morning and you are an individual who is not sure you're on your way to heaven, I'm going to close in prayer. Those at home, I'm going to close in prayer. You contact us. Call us. Send us an email. We'll get in touch with you. Those here in the auditorium, as I pray, you are welcome to go over to that side door. We have staff headed over there right now, and you get up, you walk over there, and just say, can somebody show me how, what I need to pray to put my faith in Jesus Christ so that I don't have to go through all of this and I can be one of the overcomers? You go there. They'll show you from the Bible in a matter of minutes and in privacy what you need to do. Contact us, and we'll share with you or have someone of these good folk come by and share with you the news that Jesus Christ saves and that you can know that you have eternal life.